It takes a parent to raise a child, but a society to support that parent. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 382. Today, we're talking about society's promise to parents with Dr. Dana Suskind. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence. Kids. Welcome and happy new year. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. It's 2023. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Hey, if you haven't done so yet in 2022, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. And if you've ever gotten anything from this podcast, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. It helps the podcast grow more. It takes just like 30 seconds. And I hugely, hugely appreciate it. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Dr. Dana Suskind, founder and co-director of the TMW Center for Early Learning and Public Health, director of the Pediatric Cochlear Implant Program, and professor of surgery, pediatrics, and public policy at the University of Chicago. She wrote 30 Million Words, Building a Child's Brain, and... Parent Nation, Unlocking Every Child's Potential, Fulfilling Society's Promise. And I'm so excited to talk to Dana because you may have heard me on this podcast. You know, we we put so much pressure on individuals and on ourselves to get everything right. But there is a role for our society. And we're going to hear how vitally important the first three years of life are for a child's brain development and we need to expect more and demand more from our societies and cultures to support caregivers of the next generation. It's incredibly, incredibly important. So join me at the table as I talk to Dr. Dana Suskind. The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast, too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please, Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her Triggered to Transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to MindfulMamaMentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's MindfulMamaMentor.com slash retreat. I have been talking for years and years about mindfulness and self-care with the caveat that there is extremely little support in many of our cultures and that we may have to work multiple jobs. We may have all of these circumstances that make having a high stress level like inevitable for a lot of people. And so I sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, I want to put that caveat in because it's it's wonderful to say like develop a mindfulness practice and to prioritize your 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 needs as a parent. But the, we live in a culture and society that really, really doesn't, and it drives me bananas. And this is exactly what you write about in Parent Nation. So I was, I'm so excited to have you on to talk about this. Well, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here um, because everything is interrelated. Unless we take care of ourselves, you know, all of the all the hopes and dreams for our children, they're so interconnected. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and to talk to you. I'm a big fan. Well, I'm excited to talk to you, and I would love to just start out by just asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wanted to write this book. Yeah. Um, so actually, going all the way back, I am, in addition to being a mother, and a, I'm actually a pediatric physician, a pediatric cochlear implant surgeon, to be exact. Um, and I always say that my journey into the world of social sciences and early childhood and parenting really started in the operating room. And I won't 
tell you the whole story because it would take up the whole time, but long and short of it, it was really seeing the unequal outcomes of my patients and understanding really how important the early years are and the importance and power of parents and caregivers for giving children the best, most healthy start that really drives all of my work and allowing all parents that opportunity by both sharing the incredible science of healthy brain development, but really towards your, your discussion. How do we, if we know that parents and caregivers are so critically important, what does a society look like that really prioritizes their well-being for the well-being of children? Because we know that the potential of children is completely dependent on the support for their parents and caregivers. So um, that was a quick way to say, this is how I got to where I am. I want our country to be better so that parents are supported in the way they should be. And just for the listener who doesn't know, a cochlear implant physician is somebody who, you say it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a cochlear implant is an amazing piece of technology that allows a child born deaf the ability to hear, to talk, and to mainstream educationally and socially. And so I started our cochlear implant program at the University of Chicago, Um, started implanting all these cute little kids who had all the same potential to learn, to talk and learn, um, but then started noticing unsettling differences among them after implantation with some of my patients thriving and learning how to talk and learn uh, on par with their hearing peers and others, uh, same time out of surgery, barely being able to communicate. And so in that role, trying for me, trying to figure out why my patients had different outcomes and more importantly, what I could do about it really went into this world of social sciences where I learned about the importance of the first three years of life, the importance of parents and caregivers for giving children the best possible start because Really, in the early years, it's language and nurturing interaction that builds a child's brain, no matter if you're a child born deaf who gets a cochlear implant or, you know, typically developing children. For all children, language and nurturing interaction build a child's brain. So, And the brain is pretty... Um, undeveloped when when we're born, right? Like it's it's an yeah. enormous amount. Can you tell us a little bit about the developmental brain science behind this? Because I think that piece is so fascinating. It, it is. I couldn't agree more. I always say that the power of the brain science is really what pulled me out of the operating room. Um, and so the the story is this. When we're born, most of our organs are fully formed. You know, your heart, your lung, your kidney, they function as they will you know, on day one as they will for their entire lives. Um, But not the brain. The brain comes out underdeveloped. So much so that, you know, pediatricians call call the first trimester, you know, the early months after birth, the, the fourth trimester. And basically our brains are born only a third of the adult size. Whereas, you know, you think of the horses and turtles who can, you know, feed and walk and do things like adults can, babies are underdeveloped. And it's because their brains are underdeveloped, waiting for the instruction guide from the environment. All that nurturing snuggles and talk and interaction are actually wiring up the brain so much so that those first three years of life, 85% of the physical brain will be grown. A million Uh new neural connections happen every second, which is wiring up the brain for all the thinking and learning. So really I think of those first three years of life as an evolutionary gift, because that is the reason that humans are the smartest, most creative of all species, that period of time. And when we don't allow and support parents to do this, right, we're in some ways squandering that evolutionary gift. Yeah. And so these early years are so incredibly important because it's like, you know, because I talk about neuroplasticity, we have it like all throughout our lives. We we know this now that we have it all throughout our lives. What we practice grows stronger. But those first three years, it's like that on steroids. Maybe that's a bad analogy, but no, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, no, 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 no. You're exactly right, right? What is neuroplasticity for the your listeners who may not know? That's the brain's incredible ability to 
uh, learn new things, to wire up. And in those first three years of life, at no other time of life will you have so much ability to learn new things. That's why if a baby is exposed to three languages, they can learn it without really trying. You know, me, it's a, it's a little bit late. And as you say, it's never too late, but it get, becomes harder. So those I like to think of those first three years of life as if you're going to do an analogy to a computer, it's building that hard drive. We're all born with our genetic potential, but that genetic potential will only come to fruition if you build it right. So you get one chance to build that hard drive, and then all your later learning is sort of like putting software on top of it. So if you don't get the the most most RAM that you can, it becomes harder. Um, so yes, that's why those three first three years of life are so important. And when you don't get that input, right, that necessary input, because either a mother has to work three jobs, or there's issues of, you know, stress in their world, or, you know, lots of other things, or they just don't know, you don't you don't maximize that gift that children are born with because every child is born with a gift. They're all different. You know, they all look a little bit different, but to maximize it, you need that period of time. And this is not, dear listener, to stress you out because I know my listeners and I know you're all like, oh my God, what am I not doing right? And and have I done all the things that, you know, Dr. Suskind says that I should be doing to, to maximize this foundational gift? you're really talking about some some really pretty basic pieces right and then we talk we can also then talk about like what hinders that kind of development for some people yeah i, I want and i'm glad that you said that because i hear this often and i want to emphasize to your listeners that there really is something called good enough parenting. Like sometimes people hear this work and say oh my gosh you know my first book was called 30 million words and i can explain why this it's sending the wrong message. It's, you know, there is good enough parenting. It's nurturing talk and interaction. It's what you do naturally. Um, so it's not to stress you out. Um, it is to stress out our country though, right? Because while you're doing all that you can be doing humanly possible, what I'm saying is that none of us were meant to do this alone without support. Um, we often talk about it takes a village to raise the child. I actually want to reframe that, um, or somebody else has reframed it. I don't want to take this, but it takes a parent to raise a child, but a society to support that parent. Mm. And that, that feeling of stress is often because of the lack of societal support, because we've convinced parents and frankly, especially mothers, that this is a go it alone scenario that, you know, in some ways, if you're not doing it all or, you know, things aren't going right, that because we've convinced them that it's good alone, there's this feeling of shame and stress. No, 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 no. There is something good called good enough parenting. And if anything, I want society and communities to know that we need to do better in supporting um, parents and caregivers. You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job, congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18 Plus every single day, morning and at lunch, and I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Ritual's Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. They select lower carbon packaging, they prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mindful for 25% off. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. 
All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. So I want to re-emphasize to your listeners that the first three years of life, yes, are critically important. And parents and caregivers are children's brain architects. But there is something called good enough parenting, right? This is not to stress you out at all. If anything, it's to remind you that, you know, just by those snuggles and reading and that nurturing interaction, you are building your child's brain. You don't have to have a PhD or fancy gadgets to do it. At the same time, who I do want to be stressed out is our society, because for too long, we have been sort of convincing parents, especially mothers, that this is a go it alone thing. Um, that you know you're supposed to not only do it all, but if you're not, you're failing in some ways, leading to stress and shame for mothers uh, and parents. And if anything, I, I want to emphasize that the potential of children depends on the support for parents, and that we need to do better societally, whether it be businesses, policymakers, communities in better supporting and valuing the incredibly important role that parents play in building our society. They don't just contribute to it, they build it. These little kids are the future citizens of our country. Yeah, this is a huge, huge investment. So let's talk about like, what are those, what are the issues? Like, let's lay it out. What are the issues that are facing families today that are impacting their kids' brain development? (laughs) Where... Hunter, where do we start? (laughs) So so I I think the best way to sort of think about it and the way I lay it out in parent, 30, so let me just tell you, I have, I had two books. My first book was 30 million words, which really looked at, at the individual level, what parents and caregivers, how they build children's brains. So it's not the how-to, but it's really understanding from the individual level. Parent Nation then takes that same brain science and says, okay, what does the brain science tell us that a society looks like that supports parents and caregivers in building children's brains? And the, the way it lays it out is looking at what do children need in the early years? They need time, and intera- time with their parents for nurturing interaction. They need uh, enrichment, right? They need rich early language environments. They need protection from toxic stress because we know just as much as language and interaction are critical for brain development, we also know that protection from toxic stress is critically important for healthy brain development. And so then knowing what children need allows you to say, okay, then what do parents need to provide that? They need time, right? They need time to be able to provide that nurturing interaction. They need enrichment. They need to understand the brain science so that they can put those things into action. Um, And they need enrichment in the form of living wages and, you know, paid family and medical leave. So they have that time and enrichment. And they need protection from toxic stress. They need uh, communities and environments that are free from all those stressors. And that helps you sort of lay out the roadmap of what society can provide. And how do we break it up? I I always say, you know, people often think that this is about just a policy play. And look, policy plays a huge role, but policy, business, healthcare all play a role. What, What can policy do? Well, the fact that we are literally the only, uh, developed nation, one of the few nations in the world not to have federal paid family and medical leave, I think shows you where we are. So to start Mm -hmm. off, yes, the fact we need paid family and medical leave so that one in four mothers aren't forced to go back to work two weeks after giving birth, right? I mean, that, that, let's start off. It's, it's, or fathers or do you feel like they can't even choose to stay home and create that nurturing bond with their kids. I mean, because it's financially untenable. It's, it's, uh, no, it's no, so frustrating. It is, it is frustrating, frustrating, frustrating. And you're exactly right. I mean, father, it's, it's both, you know, depending on the, you know, the makeup of the family, fathers and mothers, absolutely. I mean, and you can see there's so much science showing how powerful that is 
for children's brain development, for the mental health of mothers, for mothers going back to work and being successful in the workforce, for the bond between, if it's a, uh, you know, a cisgender family, uh, the bond between the mother and the father. And we can go into like how other countries do it and the impacts, but that's one thing. Um, and well, let's just say, I mean, a lot, cause a lot of people don't know, right? Like if you live in the United States, you just may, you know, a lot of us just kind of, this is the way it is, but can you tell us like what people get in other countries that we are not getting? Cause it's pretty like eye opening. I think it is totally eye opening. I mean, from the paid family and medical leave, because there are so many other buckets that we can talk about. I mean, as mentioned, literally we are maybe the only we are the only developed nation without it. I mean, some, you know, there's a variance in what is provided, you know, you know, up to six months uh, and even longer. And in some Scandinavian countries, they have daddy days where they're that where there's paid leave specifically for fathers, that's a use it or lose it. So in in they've got <laughs> I'm blocking on the which country, but they have papa lattes where these dads who are taking paid leave, you know, are hanging out with their kids and, you know, because it's only for them. It's a use it or lose it. And so it's a social norm that both, you know, both both uh, parents take it if it's a two two parent household. So so paid leave. But let's talk about a different area of, you know, supporting children of in child care. Right. In the we spend less on early child care and education than almost any developed nation. Right. Looking at developed nations, you know, you can look at the Scandinavian countries that spend like twenty nine thousand a year. Okay, that's you know, we can say they're outliers, but the average, the average of developed nations with people with much smaller GDPs than we do is 14,000 a year per toddler for early childcare and education. Can you guess, Hunter, what we spend on childcare in this country? Nothing Average? close to that. I know. I, I mean, I guess even in the elementary school, they don't, that's like yeah. much less. I mean, yeah, we spend, the average is fourteen thousand. We spend five hundred dollars a year per time. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's, you know, we don't even fake that you know we're even close. And you know, I can go on and on about the different inequities, but I think that it stems. So, so from a policy standpoint, there are you know there's some things that make huge differences. I mean, the child tax credit, right? I mean, we had for a period of time where it was a, almost a universal um, because raising children is an expensive, it's not only a stressful, like we all know it's hard to raise children and do it well, we, we get it, but it's incredibly expensive. So much so that we've got a fertility crisis in this country, but we can talk about that later. But um, the funny thing is, not the funny thing, we had this, period of time where we had a child tax credit that really eased many of the burdens because childcare can be the cost of, you know, a mortgage in, in many states or, you know, state, state college tuition. But the interesting thing is people say, oh gosh, that costs so much. And yes, it costs so much, but people don't talk about the fact that actually you get, not only does it pay for itself, but you get back huge returns on investment. So for the child tax credit, for every dollar you invest, you get $10 back in long-term improvement in workforce, decrease you know, health issues, decrease criminality. In fact, wow. early childhood is one of the best returns on investments. Uh, one of my colleagues here at the University of Chicago, Nobel laureate Jim Heckman showed that for every dollar invested in early, child, in early childhood, you get a $12 return on investment from wow. decreased health. Well, because all these health issues that we look at later on in life, obesity, you know, hypertension, et cetera, et cetera, they have its roots in early childhood. So not only is it a stronger workforce for tomorrow, but a healthier one too. So all of these, these early childhood programs actually pay for themselves in spades. So it, I mean, to me, it makes so much sense. I am so, so on board. But I guess the problem is we come up against this, like, and I love you. You have a line in the book about this, but we come up against this whole, like, pull pull yourself up by your bootstraps culture. But but you said, like, babies don't have any bootstraps, right? Like, these yeah. things were this, this critical time of life, and we are, we're 
leaving parents struggling, stressed, unable to to show up for their kids just because of because of all the situations and and then it's it's we're shooting ourselves in the foot because then we're we're raising you know the our earliest kids you know our youngest kids are then growing up to then need so much more when they're older or suffer you know we're we're missing the the income that they could have be be adding and i mean and but it I mean, I don't know. I mean, personally, like there's all the statistics about the income, but also goes beyond that to like just a moral imperative that we, you know, that we take care of our children, right? Like this is the future of our country. No, absolutely. And I, I love that you said that was actually my my wonderful friend, Kim Noble, who says, you know, that, you know, babies don't have bootstraps, but you're exactly right. We are shooting ourselves in the foot because look in the end you're going to pay right i mean we we pay we pay less now or more later as a society and it you know i always say we've got the scientific case right a huge scientific case if i didn't do one more study showing the importance of early childhood and brain development we wouldn't need one we have an economic case both for the long term, you know, uh, the stronger future workforce, you know, healthier workforce. But even today, I mean, you know, as intertwined as early childhood is in the future economy, today's economy, because why? Right. Mothers, mothers, especially of young children, are leaving the workforce. It's an impossibility because childcare, we don't have that infrastructure. And so businesses today are losing out big time, right? I think they lose 34 billion a year because of the childcare issue. When people can't bring their full selves to work, everyone loses. And, um, and, you know, and there's so much science to show. Yeah, I I could go on and on. But yes, it's amazing. No, I mean, we have here on Team Mindful Mama mentor, my amazing shout out to our amazing team member, Emma, who's Canadian. She had a year off of paid leave, paid for a year for every child she had. She had five kids. That was five years. And it's amazing, right? I have a friend in Denmark or or in The Hague in the Netherlands, and she had married a French guy, ended up there, but ended up staying there because she had free childcare from birth on. High quality childcare too, like not just, you know, not, not just sticking, you know, tons of kids, like really high quality childcare. And we just, we don't understand, um, you know, we don't even see the, the possibility of this alternative. But the, was this something like, it was there historical precedent? We're, weren't we close to getting some, some of this stuff passed at some point a long time ago? A long time ago and actually even recently, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is I started writing this book, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic. And it was coming on 50 years of what was called the Child Development Act. Uh, We were this close to having a very different world where we were gonna have high quality early childcare and supports for parents, whether they'd be stay at home or working. Uh, And it was gonna be a universal. And and what was interesting, so it was called the Child uh, Development Act, and it was went to Nixon de- Nixon's desk. We were that close. It had huge, bi- huge, huge bipartisan support. Um, and in fact, Nixon actually ran on early, sort of an early childhood platform. It feels very, you know, which is crazy to think about. And at the at the tenth hour, he ended up vetoing the bill. Um, and really, you know, drove a stake into the heart of early childhood so that it's this siloed, chaotic mess that it is uh, today. And, you know, I always think, gosh, if that had been signed, it could have been a very, very different world. And so, you know, we've seen different attempts at rectifying it. And there are plenty of people who are working on it. But there was, I don't know if you saw this, uh, New Mexico just um, signed, you know, just made early child care um, a right. It's part of their constitution now, Uh, just happened. And so they're going to have, you know, um, I think a continuous, it's not going to pay for everything, but a continuous stream of support um, for for 
you know, early childhood and education. So it's a, it's a constitutional right to early child care and education there. So pretty exciting, so, exciting so stuff. So Dana, what is the, like, what is the vision here, right? Like I'd love, I mean, it's, it's, the problems are enormous. It's affecting kids like on a daily basis, right? Like we know that, you know, things like, like, like poverty and not enough, you know, not enough childcare, stress of the family, um, kid parents not having time with their kids. This is all affecting kids on a daily basis, and it's heartbreaking. But like, what what is your vision? I love I love that you have this goal that we're going for. I think that is really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, the large vision and the ideal is really what underpins parent nation. We need a parent nation. And what is a parent nation? A nation that truly puts children and families at the center that sees parents and you know as not just contributing to the society but you know really building it and the incredibly important you know onus on all of society not just you know you know uh, policy but policy healthcare business all coming together to support parents so that they can support their children. Um, but what's clear, I mean, what's clear even, you know, since the pandemic, which I thought was going to have shine a light and then things would change. But if anything, you know, things haven't changed. Uh, what's become quite clear is that things sort of move forward, even in this last reconciliation bill, which, you know, was great, you know, climate and and prescription drugs, but not one thing for children and families, but, but despite everyone knowing everyone is struggling, that parents are struggling, childcare providers are struggling. I realized that we have everything. We've got the economic, the scientific, the business case. What we don't have is the public will. So the real question is, we know what the ideal needs to look like, but how do we get there? And one of the things that I put in, that I had in the book a little bit, but I really feel strongly is that, you know, we, you know, it, in the same way as the AARP, you know, back 50 plus years ago, at the same time as we had the near miss of the Child Development Act, the AARP transformed what it is to be elderly in this country. Back, back 50 plus years ago, the elderly were the poorest, most underserved segment of society. Through the AARP and bringing together, no segment of society is better served, right? Poverty rates fell by 70%. They view themselves as worthy, worthy contributors to this country. You know, Social Security, Medicare, you know, has really transformed what it is to be elderly in this country. I think parents and children are equally deserving and of in need because right now the poor segment of society are children under 5 it's crazy right wait, wait, can you repeat that it's i think this is so important for for the listener to understand say that again because it's yeah. mind boggling you know 50 plus years ago the elderly were the poor segment of our society fast forward today it's children children between under the age of 5 that are the poor segment of society and therefore obviously their parents and uh -huh. And we know, I mean, forget about, we can talk a whole lot about how poverty is bad for children's brain development. It is, it is really a, not, a, not a good thing. And so in some ways, you know, I think that parents and caregivers, um, you know, at this point, don't haven't felt worthy, right? Because we've convinced them this is a go it alone scenario. If things aren't going well, it's all on you. Um, but the truth is, is that there is such an opportunity to bring parents and caregivers across the ideological divide, across the economic, religious, and ethnic uh, spectrum, just the way the AARP did, to really advocate on behalf of the needs of parents and children. Um, because we think of the, the truth is the ARP is one third Republican, one third Democrat, one third independent, because they focus on the needs that benefit their entire group. And in that same way, parents of children zero to five, right, whether, you know, in the early years, whether they, whatever their view on parenting is, 
are struggling with the same things. And I think that together they can really push forward uh, the necessary changes so that all children are supported and all parents are supported. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I I love that idea, that idea of like uniting parents of, you know, preschool age kids and what what are we you know just to think about that like well what would we want right we want we want that paid parental leave we want high quality childcare but then the childcare qu- question is so tricky right because it costs so much money but then they're not getting paid very much and you you point out in parent nation how it's really hard to find high quality childcare in this country like actually a lot of it is not very good quality that's true right yeah. No. And as you say, you know, the the providers, which, you know, they are the brain, they're, you know, other than parents, childcare providers are building, you know, the brain architects of our children's future. And yet we're, they are the lowest paid, one of the lowest paid sectors of our society, uh, often made up of women of color. It is just an abomination. So these all absolutely need to change. I mean, you know, a, I'm, you know, a, a coalition of parents and child, you know, caregivers would determine what the major, you know, issues they wanted to push forward. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, Social Security and Medicare, they could choose, as you say, paid family and medical leave, which makes a whole lot of sense. They could put forward the early chi- uh, uh, child tax credit, right? Because that could also put, you know, uh, support parents whether they decide they want to be stay at home or a single parent or dual parent. Um, I think they would want to choose the major issues that really are the thorny issues for all parents. But I think childcare, you know, is a, you know, we need to to address both sides of the market because it's not just about like you know having more of it. It's also supporting those who are part of it. Um, and then seeing, yeah, so, and remember, the other thing to think about ARP is that the truth is, in some ways, it's a market-based solution, right? It, people don't just, aren't joining for the advocacy. Many, the number one reason is for the travel discounts, you know, health insurance, et cetera. Well, I mean, you know, discounts on diapers and, you know, uh you know, high quality yeah. childcare and be, I mean, you, this could be a market-based solution because the truth is, is the ARP is a 1.57, 1.5 $1. billion dollar juggernaut, right? Oh. I know, right? You don't think of them as a business, but they're basically a business for good. They're using that, that those funds to then support their stakeholders. So instead of having, you know, um, stakeholders that are, you know, on Wall Street, there it's the elderly, and you could imagine, you know, millennials spend I think a 1.3 trillion on parenting stuff. You know that, you know, some of that could be, you know, helping improve their lot. 
uh, and supporting them in raising children. And this is amazing. And this is like you, you and your team working on Parent Nation. I mean, because Dana, you're more than just ideas. Like with your last book, you started putting these ideas into action. And it sounds like you are doing that also now. You've been putting this into action. What is it looking like on the ground? Yeah. So, so just to be clear, so we, you know, if you go on parentnation.org, there are resources to bring parents together. The truth is, is that it's, that is only one small part of really what needs to happen. I mean, most parents are so busy asking them to, you know, and most don't view themselves as activists. It's hard enough to be raising children, but we wanted to build resources that parents could come together and really sort of start reflecting on the changes that they wanted to see in their community, start reflecting on them as parents, as, you know, their collective identity. Because I think one of the issues is that because we've convinced parents, you know, that this is a go it alone, that they don't see their larger identity, their larger power together. Um, And, you know, in the same way as the elderly think of themselves as a collective. When you say parents, parents usually think of themselves in sort of other aspects of their identity as opposed to, you know, I can tell you, I've been a pediatric doctor for longer than I'd like to admit, probably longer than you've been alive. And um, and what I can tell you is that all parents love their kids. All parents just want to give their children the best possible start. And if they start seeing each other as allies in this this tough but incredibly wonderful journey of raising the next generation and see their collective whole that maybe we'll start, you know, seeing their collective power to push forward our nation to actually value them and support them. So, um, so yeah, so we have lots of resources on the parentnation.org website, but I do want to say there are a lot of incredible organizations out there. There's, uh, Plus, which is really pushing forward for high-quality child, uh, paid family and medical leave. There are many organizations pushing forward for, you know, high-quality childcare. There's a whole lot. But what would be nice is to have a big umbrella so that their their power and their voice could be, you know, concentrated. Um, so yeah, that's absolutely. And I'm thinking about it, right? And I'm thinking, well, like what, you know, and, and parents, like we, we want to, I mean, we want to advocate for our kids, you know, for me, the thing, you know, I care about a lot of issues, but when there was a shooting in a school, I mean, it's like, whoa, this is just unacceptable. Like I need to have at least my kids to, I need to feel that my kids, it's safe for them to go to school. So I was out with my family protesting locally. Right. And so, there are, you know, and I live a busy parent life, like running a business and all of these things, right? So there, it does take a lot. But like, I was trying to think of like, well, what is the least common denominator in a lot of ways we could all agree on? Because it's 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 not that issue, but it's like, it's, it's I mean, like something like a child you know, credit, like cash, right? Money that would ease the burden of a lot of the different things. Like, I think everybody could agree on that. Like that would be, that would be such a great starting point to say like, yes, like, you know, paid family medical leave, like we should all be able to have that. We should all be able to, because you tell the story of like, yeah, you tell the story of a couple of people this affects, but like, yeah, that could be a, a rallying cry to, to, to bring people together. It feels like so, I mean, it's... It, it feels so basic. These are, these, are, these are such basic things, but that's why I like an organization that did some of the heavy lifting, like... I think is so important because as you say, people are, we are so, you know, parents, especially parents of young children are so busy, right? And then children grow up, um, but the needs of families doesn't. And, um, but yeah, I think that we just need to reframe, you know, reframing the narrative is going to be a critical part of this. Um, because I do think, you know, despite what people say, like, I think people know, right? I think people in government know, in business know, everybody knows this is a major issue. They just don't feel that accountable, right? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, they, they haven't been paying a price, even though 
they know it's an issue. And that's why I think like, you know, parents and caregivers coming together and saying, look, we may not, we may have very different views on how to raise our children. And let me emphasize, there are many ways to successfully raise a child. There's only one way to build that brain, nurturing, talking, interaction. But the truth is, just like in childcare, right, or school, you can do Montessori, you can do this, you can do that, and your children are going to be fine. But there are some key active ingredients that all children need, and that's what we're talking about. But there are many different ways. And I think that if we can see our commonality, our universal love for our children and wanting the best for them and wanting a strong country, I think that's what we can agree on. And I would want us to anchor on. So, And we should be able to do this, like, dear listener, right? Like if there's anything we're good at, we can hold them accountable. We can, we're good at holding people accountable. At least we are for their kids, right? Like we need to hold the people in power accountable. This is uh, this is so amazing. I mean, and I think this is such an important conversation because, like I said, I've been holding that caveat for years and years and years about, you know, there's only so much you can do if you have such high levels of stress in your life and so little support. And we really, really need this. And I, I love that this is leading the way and in, in helping us to to see it. Um, is there uh, is there anything? that we miss that, you know, we want to leave the listener with, Dana? Yeah. I mean, I think circling back to mindful mama, right? Mindfulness is absolutely critical. And I think the reframing of sort of parenting and your role as you're, you're, you're the guardian of our country's future. And Mm. when you're feeling some of the stress and understanding that a lot of it is because of the context that of your society can in some ways, I hope, relieve the burden, right? Because this is not a failure on your part. This is a failure on our society to understand how important your role is. And, and going back, give yourself grace, right? As I want to say over and over again, there is good enough parenting, right? My, my children are, you know, as I mentioned, almost grown and flown in college and out in the real world. And it's, it's about the overarching trajectory. There have been plenty of times when I wasn't so mindful and my kids turned out okay. So give yourself grace. Me too. (laughs) Absolutely. So with that, I am just really so thankful to have been on on this show. What you're doing is so important. And um, yeah, may we have a better society next year. So here's to that. Thank you so much, Dana. Thank you for, I mean, I'm in awe of you. You know, you're a no, cochlear <laughs> implant doctor. You're, you know, you have three biological kids, five step kids. You have eight kids all together. You have a busy life, you know, and yet your dedication to everybody's well-being and everybody's kids. And and it, I'm, I'm honestly very, very moved by it. And I really want to thank you for doing the work that you do. I'm so thankful. Thank thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I think it's so important. I'm so glad Dr. Suskind could talk to me. It felt so honored. And I hope you got a lot out of it. And if you did, please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We've gotten some amazing reviews. I want to just give a shout out to Queen Z, who gave a five-star review saying, I love this podcast. I love the book. Just one stressed mama trying to be better herself with all the resources available to me. You have no idea how glad I am to have found this resource. And I'm so glad you put it out there for us to enjoy being a mom a little bit more and having the connection we crave with our kids. Thank you so much, Queensy. I appreciate your review so much. If you want to leave a review, dear listener, please do so. It just helps the podcast grow more. And I'd love to hear your feedback on this episode. If you do anything in Instagram, tag me at Mindful Mama Mentor. Let me know. You know, share it in your Instagram stories and then tag me. And then I'd love your feedback. Are you enjoying it? Let me know. And I'm wishing you a great week. We are in a new year. It is a new beginning. It is 
winter here in the northern hemisphere, summer in the southern hemisphere, but it's a time of new beginnings, of of kind of setting our intentions and beginning anew in whatever, you know, our goals and heartfelt wishes are for the world. So I'm with you there. I'll be doing that with you. And I hope this is an awesome year of of growth and healing and joyful moments and peaceful moments for all of us. May it be so. I wave my magic wand now to make it so. All right. It's all taken care of now. Nothing to worry about. If you do want to listen to some more podcasts, we will be back next week with Mindfulness for Busy Parents with Shonda Morales and so many awesome episodes this year. We are so excited on the podcast team about this year and all the awesome guests we're going to have on this year. And my next book is coming out this year. Yay! Raising Good Humans Every Day. I'm so excited about it. If you want to have a book event somewhere in your area, let us know. Maybe we can do that. That would be awesome. It's coming out in September when it's coming out. And yeah, I'm, you know, it's January. You might be overwhelmed from the holidays, you know, I, or maybe any time in the future. So hello, future people. But listen, wherever you are, it's okay. It's okay to be tired if you're tired. Give yourself rest if you need rest. And then when you're ready, begin anew. It's a time to begin anew. You know, we don't always have to be on. We don't have to be perfect. We don't always have to get everything right. We're allowed to rest. You're allowed to rest. You're allowed to take it easy and not go full on all the time, okay? And beginning anew can be a gentle process of just what is my North Star and what next steps can I take towards it? So I'll be doing that with you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm wishing you a beautiful week, a beautiful year, and I'm so glad we've been able to connect. Thank you, thank you. Talk to you soon. Namaste. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.